like to talk to us about, just to introduce John chapter 4 for us, is to uh, talk about this expression, there are two sides to every coin. So uh, I have a quarter in my hands, on the front is George Washington, and on the back of this one, I don't know, I had to buy readers the other day at the store. <laughs> I, I don't know, I, can't, I just honestly can't tell you what that is right now. There's two sides to it. There's a head and a tails. There's a front and a back. There's two sides to every coin. It's an expression we use, right? So any topic, we got two things we can look at. So to keep, before we transition into some examples from scripture, some examples from pop culture. Spider-Man made it popular. The expression, with great power comes great responsibility. Helping us see that if you have these superpowers, you have great power, but the other side of that coin is with your power comes a sense of responsibility. And so within our faith, we can illustrate that in a lot of different ways. There's lots of categories within scripture that there are two sides to the coin. So for example, strength and weakness. As we look at scripture, the Holy Spirit gives us gifts. God designed you and he made you good at certain things. And so you have certain strengths. That's one side of the coin, but the other side of the coin is, the scripture says that God's power is made perfect in you through your weakness. So you got two sides of the coin. God's given me gifts, but yet his scripture tells me that it is in my weakness that his power is made clear to me, so it's two sides to one coin. Just think about faith and works. As we're told in Ephesians chapter two, it is by grace through faith that we are saved. It is not through works. And yet you flip over to James chapter two, verse 17, and it tells us if you have faith, but no works, then your faith is dead. And so we are saved by faith, but but you can't have faith without works. So you have faith on one side, works on the other side. You can't separate the two from one another. How about my choice versus God's choice? God says uh, in John 3, 16, right, that whoever believes on him will have eternal life. And yet there are other verses in the Bible that say that God chose me. So did I choose God or did God choose me? And they are two sides to a coin. And so there are two truths that we hold in tension. And in our limited human capacity, we can't always hold both truths in our mind simultaneously. So we have this helpful expression. There are two sides to every coin. Both sides of the coin are true. Both must stay connected to one another. Both of those truths need one another to stay in tension with each other. So the coin we want to look at this morning is spirit and truth. In John chapter 4, as you heard Daniel read it, Jesus said these words in verses 23 and 24. He said, true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So that's what we want to tackle this morning is what does it mean to worship in spirit and truth? Before we do, let me just summarize. Maybe you walked in late and you didn't hear the scripture reading, but even if you heard it read, if you're like me, you zone in and you zone out. So here's the story of uh, the woman at the well, sometimes we call her. Jesus and his disciples are weary from traveling, and they're traveling through the area of Samaria. At the time, Jews and Samaritans did not get along. There was a deep divide between them, a lot of racial uh, prejudice and um, bigotry between the two areas. And so they stop in Samaria. The disciples go off to get food in town because they're all hungry. Jesus waits at the well by himself. Up comes a woman from Samaria to draw water from the well. And Jesus says, give me a drink. 
And she says, whoa, whoa, whoa. First of all, you're Jewish, I'm Samaritan. Second of all, you're a man and I'm a woman. How is it that you ask me for a drink of water? Jesus says, uh, well, you simply see a Jewish man in front of you, don't you? But if you knew who I really was, you would be asking me for a drink of living water. Samaritan woman says, oh, well, how are you going to get the living water? You don't even have a bucket. How are you going to get living water for me? I at least showed up at the well with a bucket, and Jesus says, oh, um, whoever drinks the water that I have, they'll never be thirsty again. The water I have will quench their thirst for eternity. And so she says, give me some of that water. And Jesus says, all right, well, why don't you first go get your husband and bring him here? And she says, I don't have a husband. He says, oh, that is right. You don't have a husband, do you? You've had four, and the man you're living with now is not your husband. To which she says, oh, I perceive that you are a prophet. How about this one then, prophet? We worship on this mountain while the Jews worship on that mountain in Jerusalem. So, so which is it? And Jesus says, okay, the hour is coming. No, actually, the hour is at hand. The hour has come. And this is our quote for the morning. True worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman says, I know that the Messiah will come and explain all this to us. And Jesus says, I, who am standing here in front of you, I am he. I am the Messiah. And then the disciples return with the food. The woman takes off for town, leaving her jug at the well. The disciples say, here's some food. And Jesus says, oh man, I'm not hungry. I don't want your food. You want to talk about food? Look out at this town that lies down there in the valley. Look at it. It's full. It's ripe for the harvest. You want to talk about food? It's like a wheat field, and it is ripe for the picking. That's the food that I want. So Jesus stays in that town for two days and many Samaritans come to faith in Jesus. What we're doing this morning is we're looking at this interaction, we're zooming in on this one moment with the woman at the well where Jesus is trying to help her see and understand what worship is. In the Samaritan woman's mind, worship is exclusively happens at a specific place. Now, that was a fine uh, assumption to make, as we've talked about in previous weeks, as you look at Old Testament worship, there was a sense in which this, the worship center in those days was the temple or the tabernacle because God's presence was there in that most holy place. And so it, it is appropriate on one side of the coin to associate the fact that worship is very much associated with where God is. That's where we go to worship. But Jesus says, oh, well, he doesn't say this explicitly, but as you read the rest of the Bible, you understand Jesus' point. His point is this. The, you used to go to a place because that's where God was. But listen, God's standing right in front of you. The time is at hand where now we're going to worship in spirit and in truth because God is spirit. We're going to worship in spirit and truth. And so Jesus is saying there is a new time that has started now and so the first thing we want to understand about what does it mean to worship in spirit and truth, it means that worship is not limited to a location. As we've explained before and we will continue to, God's spirit abides in us through the Holy Spirit, those of us who have faith. 
And so therefore, we can worship anywhere, at any time. So anywhere and everywhere we worship. So Jesus is trying to explain that to us. Worship is not limited to a location. We worship in spirit and truth. So worship everywhere. That's what we talked about last week. We said all of life can be worship. What we do here, you can put in the category of corporate worship. That's one type of worship that we do. We corporately come together and worship together. You might think of another category as private worship. You should go home this week and you should spend private time in prayer and in reading scripture. And if you want to sing, there's private worship. You can think of another category as family worship. Gather your family together and worship together. And then really this other category is one for all of life. So when you go to work, your work can be worship if you enter into it with a spirit of gratitude to honor God in whatever you do. So worship is everywhere at all times. So that's the first point we want to see. Worship is not limited to a location. We worship everywhere. But the second thing we want to look at is worship in spirit. That's what Jesus says. So what does that mean? What does it mean to worship in spirit? Well, this word spirit is actually an interesting word in the Bible, and it can be translated a lot of different ways. The two options we have for us this morning are these. One, option one is that spirit means heart. It means like your inner being, like your heart, like you probably associate, like if I say the word heart, you sort of have an idea in your head. So it means this sense of like a feeling, the seat of our emotions. And so what we're saying is when we say worship in spirit, it's like worship with your whole heart, with your whole being. It should affect all of you, your heart, your emotions. Everything should be engaged as you worship God. Because if you're not engaged that way with your heart, then the Bible might think of you and put you in the category of a hypocrite. You say one thing with your mouth, but your heart is in another place. And so perhaps what Jesus is saying, one option for us when he says worship in spirit and truth is he is saying worship with your heart, with your whole heart, not just with your words. That's option one. Option two is best illustrated in the NIV versions of the Bible. In the New International Versions, they capitalize the word spirit. Because when translators sit down and they look at this word spirit, they don't know if it's talking about our spirit, like our heart, or if it's talking about the Holy Spirit. So the translator of the NIV said, you know what, we're gonna capitalize the word spirit. English Standard Version that I read out of doesn't capitalize the word spirit. So spirit in this text can mean Holy Spirit meaning our worship is dependent upon the Holy Spirit. Our worship of God is dependent upon God himself being at work in us. So which is it? I don't know. It's part of the reason it's helpful to have a phrase like there's two sides to every coin. Um, So Bible scholars are stumped. The best of Bible scholars are all stumped on this particular word and what does it mean. And I think it can mean both things. I think scripturally you can support either one. So if you look at Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 26 to 27, I think we have those for you on the screens. This is Ezekiel giving a prophecy, looking into the future and saying there's gonna come a time where this will be true and that's the time we are in right now. And Jesus was introducing this time to the woman at the well. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. So there it is. It is this heart, a new heart that God gives us. It's no longer hard like a rock. It is now malleable. It is responsive. It is able to respond to God in worship. So there it is. But the next verse in verse 27 says this, and 
I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So Ezekiel is telling us, hey, it's both. When you become a Christian, I take out, God says, your heart of stone and I replace it with a heart of flesh that can now respond in worship. But I also do a second thing. I put my Holy Spirit inside of you. And so it's both of these things. What I'm gonna do the rest of the morning though is I'm gonna lean in the direction of the Holy Spirit. If I had to pick, if you forced me to choose, I would choose that the, that the best understanding is that it is the Holy Spirit. And so I'm gonna lean in that direction as we apply it. So I think the application for how do I worship in spirit, I think a good application for us this morning is that we should be thirsty for the Holy Spirit. We should be thirsty for the Holy Spirit. I like that language because it connects directly with the woman at the well. Think about the woman at the well. She's there because she's thirsty. Jesus is at the well because he's thirsty. Jesus says, I will quench your thirst with a water that will quench your thirst for all of eternity. I think he is hinting at the Holy Spirit to the woman. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, right? You have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. All God existing in this Trinity together. And our true worship We're worshiping God, we're dependent upon the Holy Spirit, and our eyes are focused on Jesus Christ. It's biblical to thirst for the Spirit. The verse that we read before we sang that song is Psalm 63, verse 1. You've already heard it this morning, but I'll read it again. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Psalm 42.1, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so, my, so pants my soul for you. O God, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. So if we want to worship in spirit and in truth, if we're going to worship in spirit, we ought to be thirsting for the spirit. We must be thirsting for God. So do you thirst for God? When you sing these songs in church, are you thirsty for the Holy Spirit? for his spirit to be at work in your heart? Are you looking for a taste of God? But worship isn't exclusively the songs, is it? We've already established that. So right now, as you sit here right now, is there something in you that is thirsting to understand God, to know God more? Is that sort of a thirst that you have within you as you sit and you listen to the word of God read and preached? But again, worship isn't limited to to this hour on Sunday. Worship is something for all of our life. So in your ordinary life, at work, at home, in the community, is there a sense in which you thirst for the Holy Spirit? Because ladies and gentlemen, we cannot live the Christian life except for the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. Listen, I am really bad at communicating patience and kindness. But if the Holy Spirit will be at work within me and I can yield to the Holy Spirit, then the Holy Spirit can produce in me kindness and patience. And so what I need to do, even in my ordinary life, is thirst for the Holy Spirit so that I can display those fruits of the Spirit. So we should thirst for the Spirit, but... What happens sometimes is we're thirsty people, if you run with this metaphor, we quench our thirst at all different other drinking fountains. So we thirst, we get real thirsty, and then we see this water fountain over here, and it's titled money. 
And we're like, oh, I'm really thirsty. I'm going to drink from that fountain. I want more things. I want more money. I want a nicer car. I want a bigger house. I want newer things. I want more things. And those things aren't bad. But if we're drinking from that fountain because we want our thirst quenched, well, Jesus has offered us water that will quench our thirst for eternity. We get thirsty and we want to quench our thirst at sort of the the well of, of other people's approval. We know that as Christians, we have certain opinions and certain points of view that are no longer popular in society. And boy, wouldn't it be nice to just fit in and be able to agree with everyone on everything and we thirst for that approval from other people and we drink from that well and we accommodate and we satisfy our thirst at the wrong fountain. We drink from the water fountain of pride we're really thirsty, and so we think, oh, I just need a drink. Oh, I am, I am smarter. I am better than them. I know more about God than that person. I have less sin in my life than that person. I'm better than her. And all of a sudden, all oh, that quenches my thirst. That tastes really good. I want to drink more from that water because it is quenching my thirst. But meanwhile, Jesus is offering us his Holy Spirit that if we will drink from the Holy Spirit, it will give us a humility, it will stop that within us and it will satisfy our thirst deeper and longer than any other drinking fountain that we might stop at. And so Jesus is saying true worship is worship in spirit. It's thirsting for the Holy Spirit. That's how he wants us to worship, as we thirst for the Spirit. Worship in spirit, worship in truth. Worship in truth isn't as complicated. It, it, there's no real hard understanding of what it means when he says truth. It's just simpler. And yet it is not necessarily simple in the society we live in. What is truth? That's the question that we all are dealing with in our society. What is truth? We are in a crisis as a society of truth. Where do I go to read truth? Where do I go to watch truth? Like, who can tell me what is true? Where can I go to find truth? Look at God's word. We're told that Satan is the father of lies. And so what he has done in our society is a masterful job of confusing all of us so that none of us know anymore what is true. And ever since the Garden of Eden, that has been his strategy. As a serpent came into the Garden of Eden, he caused Adam and Eve to doubt and question the truth that they heard from God. And so they ate of the fruit of the garden and sin came into our world. And ever since then, Satan has been trying to deceive us and block us from the truth. What's really going on in the world? Who am I? What is true? Why do I feel this way? Is there anything that is absolutely true, timeless and absolute truth? Does it exist? And this is where the church is postured very well at this moment in our society. Because we have the opportunity to step into this darkness, into the midst of all this confusion where people are wondering what is truth, and we can say, oh, we have an answer. There is the inspired word of God and this is truth. And it is confusing out there to know which way to go and what is truth. But here, I think this is truth. I believe this is truth and I let this guide me. It's an opportunity we have each and every day. I would encourage you to pick your battles 
I would encourage you to be really thoughtful. There's confusion in every topic. But what's more important for your friend? The truth regarding the election or the truth regarding your creator? Which is more important, the truth behind COVID or the truth of a savior who wants to save your soul, right? Those other topics, I'm not saying they're not important. I'm saying we ought to be really careful. There's a lot of confusion. People don't know where truth is. And if we take all the opportunities to talk about truth and we hit some of these hot topics, what have we accomplished for the sake of the kingdom of heaven? The most important thing that people wanna know is who am I? Am I loved? Where do I belong? And if we can speak to those things, then we'll see lives transformed by the love of God. So be hungry for the truth. Be hungry for the truth. I think this is in the text as well from John chapter four, right? The disciples are in town because they're all hungry. Jesus waits there for the food to be brought to him and so they show up with the food. They say, Jesus, we've got the food, let's eat. And Jesus says, I'm not hungry anymore. I, the food that I have, you don't even know about. To which the disciples are like looking at each other, did you give him food? I didn't give him any food, how did he get any food? Jesus says, if you wanna talk about food, just look at all those people in that village. They are all hungry for truth. So let's go feed them. Let's go give them what they are hungry for. Let's go give them the truth. And they move into the city and they stay there for two days feeding people with the truth of Jesus. Matthew chapter four, verse four says this. This is when Jesus is being tempted in the wilderness by Satan. Jesus hasn't eaten for 40 days. And Satan comes up to Jesus and he says, turn these stones into bread. I know you're hungry. And Jesus responds to Satan and he says this, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So if you're hungry for truth, the truth is found in God's word. If you are hungry for truth, then you will be hungry for the word of God. So when we sing the songs that we sing together on Sundays, those songs are chosen because they communicate God's truth to us to satisfy our hunger for truth. When you gather with us for corporate worship, we read God's word, we preach from God's word so that you can be filled and your appetite can be satisfied with the truth of God's word. But our worship isn't limited to this hour on Sunday. All of our lives can be worship. So at work and at home and in your community, are you hungry for truth? The truth that you find in God's word. Use the same idea of a metaphor. Instead of water fountains all around us, there's restaurants all around us, right? And they, they're selling you food to eat to satisfy your appetite. Some of the food we eat doesn't even taste good, but we eat it anyways. You ever been in moments like that? How does that taste? Oh, it doesn't taste very good. Then why are you still eating it? Right? Sometimes we eat, people are like, this is a sort of inner dialogue we have, like, oh, you're such a failure. How could God forgive you again? You're gonna run out of God's grace if you keep that up. There's so much you don't know. Why don't you just stop trying? Nobody wants you, nobody loves you. We shouldn't eat that food. That's not true. God loves you. And his grace for you is amazing and unending, and he forgives you every step of the way. There's another restaurant, though, that's selling food that tastes really good, and we really like to eat it. We satisfy our hunger with the lie that, that my way is the best way. 
Yeah, my way is the best way. Yeah, but your way doesn't line up with what the word of God says. Yeah, but that, that doesn't matter. God doesn't care. That, that doesn't matter. My way is the best way. Well, that's a lie. And if you're satisfying your hunger with that lie, you're not going to hunger for God's word like you should. You need to avoid that restaurant. There's other restaurants where they say, Here, here's a lie that tastes really good. This is, this is really my truth, and, and you have your truth, and you should follow your truth, and I'll follow my truth, and I just need to be true to myself, and you need to be true to yourself, and we'll each follow our own paths towards truth. So most people in our society, ladies and gentlemen, are eating at that restaurant. Satisfy your hunger for truth from the word of God. Men's opinions are countless and never-ending. And so what we have is hopefully the confidence that what I'm hungry for truth, God's word speaks to these things that can satisfy my hunger, and I should feast upon the word of God and its truth. So what we've seen is, if the question for the morning is, what does it mean to worship in spirit and truth? Well, one, it means that worship isn't limited to a specific place. We worship anywhere and everywhere. And we worship in spirit. And that can mean I need to have a genuine, wholehearted response to God and not be a hypocrite. It can also mean, though, that our worship is dependent upon the Holy Spirit. And that's the direction in which we're leaning with our application today, is that as we worship in spirit, we should be thirsting for the Holy Spirit. And as we worship in truth, we should be hungry for the truth of God's word. It is both of those things together. It is not either or. So if you've been a Christian for a while or if you've been around Christianity, then you've sort of picked up on a few things if you've been paying attention. There are Christians and there are churches that really lean hard into the direction of the Spirit, right? They say, like, we are a Spirit-led church. We are all about the Spirit. We follow the Spirit. We're sensitive to the Spirit. We talk a lot about the Spirit. There are other churches if you're paying attention, that they're talking about the truth. They emphasize the truth. We're focused on truth. We're all about God's word. We follow the truth. We are sensitive to the truth. We talk a lot about the truth. Oftentimes, to you broad generalities, the churches that are leaning in the direction of the Spirit are more exciting. They're more engaging. They're uh, maybe uh, fun or maybe a bit scary. You've got the other churches, though, that are leaning in the direction of truth, and those can become dry. They can become educational and academic. God never intended us to separate spirit and truth from one another. They should stay together. They are two sides of one coin. They ought not to be separated from one another, but they should be brought together. They need one another. John, who wrote this Gospel of John that we're reading, inspired by God, he helps us see that as he continues to write. So in John chapter 14, verses 16 to 17, he says, Jesus is speaking, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Jesus is helping us see, listen, the Holy Spirit Here's another name for him, the spirit of truth. You can't separate it. It is spirit and truth. He, he doubles down on the point in John 15, 26. When the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. John 16, 13. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all 
truth. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. And so we keep spirit and truth together. As we conclude and and wrap this up, let me just read you the next verses from John 16. It goes on to say, he will glorify me. So this spirit of truth will glorify me. He will take what is mine and declare it to you. And all that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. What's nice about this little section is it helps us see how the Trinity is at work within our worship. The Father gives things to the Spirit, I mean to the Son, and then the Spirit takes the things of the Son and he brings them to us. I like the way that author and pastor John Piper explains it. He says this, the Spirit is sent to make Christ real to people and to show us who he really is in his glory so that we will come to love him and trust him and obey him and show him to the world. What this means is that the Holy Spirit is more likely to come in power where the truth about Jesus is being lifted up and made plain. The Spirit loves to come and take the truth about Jesus and turn it into an experience of Jesus. The Holy Spirit loves to come and take the truth about Jesus and turn it into an experience of Jesus. So our thirst for the Spirit, I'm dependent upon the Spirit, I'm thirsting for the Spirit, that will lead me to Jesus. The Spirit will lead me to Jesus. So John 7, 37, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. The Spirit leads us to Jesus. Our hunger for the truth leads us to Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the truth. And in John 6, 35, Jesus summarizes it for us perfectly. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So what we want to do this morning as we conclude with communion is we invite the worship team to come up. They're going to play a song for us to sort of lead us into communion. We're going to sing along. It's turn your eyes upon Jesus. And as we worship through this song, what we're doing is we're trying to make some application, right? We're trying to, as we sing this song, worship in spirit and truth. So we're going to thirst for God. And we're going to hunger for God's truth. And as we do, what the spirit is going to do as we thirst for the spirit is he is going to direct our attention to Jesus. And we're going to turn our eyes upon Jesus and look full in his glorious face. And as we do that, the things of this world are going to grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace.